When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Science, the show that breaks down the science of television and movies with a comedian and a scientist. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh, and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today to discuss Mysterious Planet, which you can watch exclusively on Discovery+. Plus. My first guest, wow, he is a brilliant writer, actor, comedian, Conan O'Brien's sidekick, and host of the podcast, The Three Questions with Andy Richter. I'm thrilled to welcome to the show, Andy Richter. Hi, Ethan. How are you? I'm doing great, Andy. How's it, how's it been? Well, I, I'm, I'm great now that you've buttered me up. I feel very, <laughs> uh, I feel very accomplished and smart. It is my honor to butter you up, good thank sir. Thank you. And I, I really do thank you for being here. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of yours. Thank you. I wanted to also ask you about, you know, we're talking about Mysterious Planets. So have you visited any exotic locations teeming with weird creatures like the islands we saw on the show? Um, no, I, I mean, probably the, uh, Hawaii would be the, the you know, I mean, just... Because Hawaii is pretty unique, and New Zealand. I've been to New Zealand because New Zealand is also, oh. uh, you know, like I worked in New Zealand on a on a movie a uh, number of years ago, and I had a lot of free time, I had a lot of time off uh, because it was a kids movie, and they made the kids work the most. Um, <laughs> and but I had time to like go fishing. I you know I like to fish, and I I, I got a guide to take me uh, surf fishing, and we were in an area. That was complete wilderness, but there were fences up everywhere. It was like a jungle with fences, and it was to protect kiwis, the birds, because oh, wow. they have no natural predators. Um, oh. So humans coming along and bringing their cats and their dogs and their pet snakes, uh, <laughs> you know, present just a huge danger to this completely defenseless national bird. Um, yeah. And there's there's a few other, you know, there's a few other species down there that are completely unique to New Zealand and Hawaii that, you know, the same thing in Hawaii, you know, they're very careful in Hawaii about, uh, about protecting. I, I think it's mostly their avian life, mostly their bird life. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, you, I don't even know if you can, I mean, pet snakes, I think you gotta be real careful in Hawaii. I'm not exactly sure, but they're yeah, very, very particular about that. Yeah. You gotta be careful with your pet snake regardless. Exactly. Jesus, That's what these people. grandma said. Your grandma had a pet snake? Said, be careful with your pet snake. No, no, no. She just, it was a general rule. <laughs> she was just telling you that a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, our, our next guest might be able to answer some of these snake-esque questions. Uh, who knows? He is the global managing director for all nature protection at the Nature Conservancy, the world's largest environmental organization. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jeff Parrish. Thank you, Ethan. And uh, I think Annie's already said everything I'm, I want to say about protecting islands from invasive species. So thank you for that, Andy. I can coast the rest of the sure. way. Sure. Um, <laughs> but you got it. Yeah, no, I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm a PhD, so hopefully we'll put that hat on at times and hopefully tell you a little so some stories about Indonesia and 
why we got yes. it. So great to be here. I'm, I'm super curious about Indonesia, and I, I I loved watching it in this show. But before we get to that, I've been hosting this show a few years now, and it always seems somewhat impossible that scientists successfully partner with governments to actually put conservation into law. But I read that you reached a $230 million deal with the government of Chile to manage and permanently finance the 17 national parks of the Patagonia region. So an extremely belated congrats on that. I think it was years ago. But can you tell me how that came to pass and what challenges you faced? (laughs) Thanks, Ethan. Well, to be clear and to be fair, we're still in the process of closing out that deal. There was a little thing called a constitutional crisis in Chile. Uh, which was long needed, but was really sort of threw the country into into a little bit of a of a pause and a rethink about their constitution. So we're in the process of doing that. The Pew Charitable cool. Trust is out out in front leading that. Um, but yeah, basically everyone thinks a national park is awesome, except for when it only receives a fraction of the funding that it needs. And so Chile was actually like ninth worst in the world in terms of its investment in its national park system, even though it's like absolutely the coolest national parks on the planet and so um our deal was to figure out how can we bring some money to the table that leverages the government up its game in financing its national parks so that people can go see cool things like torres and paine and patagonia national park that chris and doug Tompkins helped to establish so yeah so you you can do these negotiations with government it takes a lot of experience and a little bit of leverage and a hell of a lot of carrots and sticks but it can happen and that when you do that, man, that it just unlocks protection at scale. It's big. It's what the planet needs. And actually, um, WBF and Pew and TNC are, are conjuring up some big ideas to, to do more of that. So, yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by that because, like you said, I think it is exactly what we need. It feels like almost every environmental scientist I, I speak with will agree on that. And yet it's so incredibly difficult. It's such an uphill battle to get these things done. It is, and you know, today's a day too where parks parks matter, parks work. They do they conserve those kiwis that Andy was talking about, but but you know they also have to be equitable and they have to give access to people of all economic strata, racial, um, gender, etc. They need to benefit people. So you know we're increasingly realizing that nature, you know, biodiversity, and climate and people are all one big intertwined thing. And you got to make make it work for all three. So. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really what we're about at TNC, and, um, and and we're doing so with our partners in places like Indonesia, which got me so stoked about this show. I was just like, I, I, I'm like, uh, sorry to take up a minute here, but like I work so hard Please. on conservation. I never get to watch a documentary or a nature show, ever. <laughs> so you can give the excuse, man. It was awesome. I felt like a kid in a candy shop. It was great, and um, it actually got me really pumped up about all the cool stuff going on in Indonesia, some cool animals, and David Schumer did it justice. It was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I'm I'm thrilled to give you the opportunity to watch something uh, anytime, you know, uh, anytime you want, please go ahead, watch whatever you want. Watch The Shining. I don't care. Uh, you know, get your kicks, man. So... I got to say, the first thing, and and Andy, tell me if you feel the same, but the the first thing that struck me was how beautiful these places are. Komodo, Sulawesi. Um, So is that actually how it looks over there, Jeff, or was that all CGI uh, smoke and mirrors? Well, it does look that way. But one of the things that struck me and it doesn't come out in the show is the fact that we have lost a huge amount of the natural habitat of those forests. And on all of those islands... 
And so, um, you know, you don't want to show death and destruction when you're trying to get people stoked, right? And and I and I get it. So there's a little bit of um, of, of exaggeration there because there are there there's a lot of palm oil in, on many of those islands and these huge plantations that are wiping out um, some of the richest biodiversity and carbon, right? Remember, carbon starts in nature. Sometimes it's under the ground in the form of, of you know from fossilized remains, and sometimes. It's actually in trees and in soil and in peatlands and uh, all of Indonesia has a ton of carbon that we want to keep in the ground. Unfortunately, we're losing a lot of that. The show didn't really show it, but man, it is beautiful. And that's, I have to say, I was inspired. It wasn't all CGI. It, there, there are parts of it that we still need to protect that look just like that. And I was, I was like, again, I was giddy. It was really cool to see some of that beauty. Wow. Um, have you been over there yourself? I have actually, you know, it was total serendipity, but I have also, I've been directly to Komodo. I've been face to face with a Komodo dragon and I didn't oh even God. know that that was going to be the, the star of the show when you sent out the, the, <laughs> the request. And so I was pretty stoked. In fact, I've got like a piece of furniture right here carved, a carved out Komodo dragon that one of my most prized possessions, they are the most kick-ass animals. And that, I remember walking across Komodo Island. We spent a lot of time with beautiful coral reefs around the island. And then we went on land and we did this hike all the way across the top. And not only were there Komodo dragons, but there were fossils everywhere, more common than the common rock. Like there were fossils all across that island. Those beautiful, you know, nudibranch fossils, those shells that like fully intact. And I just remember like thinking this is this whole thing is prehistoric between the Komodo dragon and fossils laying everywhere. It was an extraordinary place. One of the most memorable moments of my life. Wow. And, uh, Andy, tell me if you heard that right, but did you say that you killed a Komodo dragon and made a furniture out of it? You made a chair out of it? What was that? <laughs> he did say something like that. I, yeah, he kind of skimmed a, past a it. But... It's, a, it's a carved thing right here. I know I, I mentioned that to, uh, to one of my colleagues. They were like, Wait, are you talking taxidermy? Like, that's kind of yeah. gross. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were, like, endangered. You're a freak. It's a, it, but it just goes to show you how, how these, um, these creatures are really important to the traditions of local people. Um, and that, that they actually carve, they make art from these creatures and the, and the, and the, and the model of those creatures. And so, um, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, you know, again, back to that issue of people and biodiversity are pretty intertwined. Um, well, I definitely have questions about the Komodo. I mean, you, like you said, it was the star of the show. I've never seen one in person, I, I guess, because they're only on these islands uh, across the world from us. But, uh, but yeah, can you tell me a little bit about them as a species? I, I understand they have like a super venomous bite. Is that true? That is true. I'm not a, I'm not a herpetologist, which is the big fancy word for somebody who studies lizards and snakes and, and amphibians. But um, but that is true. There, it's for a while. People thought it was the bacteria that would kill their their when they bite the their prey. That it was the bacteria in their saliva, um, like as if they were just like really really bad at brushing their teeth. But basically, it's actually it is the venom. It is this venom, just like you have oh. in, in, a, in another in a snake. And it kind of, I mean, David Schwimmer said it right. It is a blood thinner. They're big, big creatures. I mean, they're huge. They deserve the name dragon. But, you know, it's hard for them to take down the water buffalo. And so oftentimes they'll grab it and then they'll actually go chomp on it once it's gone off to die. 
So they may not kill it right there in the moment, but their venom eventually will. I, I really liked uh, Schwimmer, by the way. We should mention that he was narrating this, uh, this doc, uh, and, and it was kind of unique, right? I mean, Andy, how did you feel about that? They kind of did like a funnier take on the normal Planet Earth move. Uh, I, I was offended. Uh, leave comedy to the professionals. Uh, I don't want biologists writing jokes. Um, no, I mean, there, there, was, there was some good lines in there, but there, uh, there was some parts where I was kind of like, Okay, I don't need, you know, like, <laughs> take it down or not. Like, if there's a comedy dial, I would just ask the producers to turn it down, like, 10%. Because yep. it just, uh, you know, it. I, when I watch a, a nature documentary, and I love nature documentaries, and I love nature, and I know a fair amount about things just from over the years being into nature documentaries like i i'm not really looking for comedy you know what i mean mm-hmm. i i don't i and it does sort of undercut what i want to be thinking about you know i don't i don't right like i don't need pop culture references in the middle of my komodo dragon thing yeah. like i said there were some good lines in there but there was other times too and i was just like just let me just let me look at the at the bugs getting eaten you know, let me look at the tarsier. And it's also too, I mean, I I can't imagine what it's like to program for nature documentaries when there are so many. And I think there's probably, I'm just guessing from knowing television that there's a, there's a, the group of people that are into, or that watch nature documentaries is a pretty set group. I bet it doesn't like, it doesn't fluctuate a lot. And people who are into it are into it. So I, everybody's always trying to get more people to watch something. So they're trying different things. You know, they're trying, you know, in this case, comedy. You know, there's a lot of a lot of shows, you know, there's like a lot of prehistoric shows. And they did a little bit here with uh, CGI reenactments of things that, you know, which can be really cool. You know, the time lapse of the changing of the, of the water levels of these islands is really yeah. fascinating. And I'm always kind of fascinated by the notion of what did where I'm standing look like a million years ago. I also like to know about the interaction of people with it, you know, because it sent me to, you know, the internet to look up Komodo and how many people live on Komodo and how long they've been living on Komodo because yeah. it is such a rugged place. And it does seem that the, the human habitation is very centralized and very in a very small place on that big island um and i you know and i think that that's always like i you know just the shots when they had like of a village and komodo dragons strolling around i mean (laughs) i'd love to know more about like what's that like to have uh you know oh yeah it's a, a venomous a venomous uh lizard as big as a motorcycle strolling around outside your house you know all right we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back the break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. Yeah, I thought that was actually really that part was kind of cool and a little bit of vengeance, you know? Like yeah, he, yeah. He was ready to he was seeking revenge, but yeah. you know, it did. I think they they failed to talk about the people, right? Like that, and that I think I'm with Andy. I you know I I also think so. Little story, I I left the Nature Conservancy. I'm a prodigal son. I came back to TNC fairly recently. And um, when I left, I worked with the clothing company, Patagonia, on this campaign 
Um, and there's a, a famous mountaineer, one of my inspirations, a guy named Rick Ridgeway, and he, he we had this long breakfast when he was hiring me. He looked me across, at, you know, looked me in the eye across the table. He's like, Jeff, conservation, you, you conservation people are not going to save the world. A story is going to save the world. And I was like, I thought he had three three heads and twelve eyes. I thought he was so weird, but he was so right. And so, to Andy's point, like, turn it down a little bit, David. Done like ten ten notches. <laughs> But, but I also really appreciated the fact that he's telling a good story that's bringing in other audiences. And instead of like yeah. reaching to the converted, we're reaching to the unconverted. And so that was, yeah, I can, I've got a new level of appreciation for that, even as a PhD scientist. Like, you know, usually a, a people of my ilk are like walking around pshawing every single freaking, you know, conversation like, like that, that one, right? Because they're like, oh, those facts are not true. And oh. my wife always gives me a hard time because we'll be sitting in the movie theater and, and, I'll, we'll be in, like, it's based in New Zealand, right? In this big drama. And then I hear a hermit thrush, which only occurs in the eastern United States. I'm like, oh, for Christ's sake. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so, but I can appreciate Or when, or my pet peeve is bald eagles that have hawk voices. Right. <laughs> that, Every know, time. A bald eagle flies by the air. You know. Andy, that's exactly right. I'm an ornithologist, actually. Oh, are you? Yeah. So, like, you know, to hear the hawk coming out of the eagle's mouth is like way over the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes Swimmer look pretty, pretty, uh, you know, pretty on track. Pretty. Yeah, yeah. The comedy did get me a few. At the beginning, I was worried about it, and I thought, like, oh no, a third of this dialogue is going to be, you know, jokes, and I don't need yeah, that, yeah. etc. And then every now right. and then, it would get me, and I'd be like, okay, hold on a second, that was yep. actually kind of fun and unique, because yep, yep. yeah, we don't we don't normally get that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you you mentioned the the tarsiers, the spectral tarsiers. I wrote down because I was fascinated by. I love that was probably my favorite part of the episode because it just seemed like a weird sci-fi creature to me like normally a sci-fi villain or a horror villain kind of has like one super special power you know and this thing they just kept going and it was (laughs) hilarious to me it was like the huge eyes it can see moonlight in color super powerful legs it can jump it's got these like sticky like claw like uh, uh, hands it's like it has everything i just kept thinking like yoda lives and he's badass right yeah (laughs) yeah exactly he's fast and hungry and uh so yeah can you can you tell us about uh, these little critters I, i i love these guys well, I, um, Andy's been watching all the documentaries. He, he might know more than I do. I, <laughs> they're, no, they're, they're a really small primate. You kind of forget that like these little guys are actually, you know, related to monkeys and chimps and, and orangs, which are, you know, on the next island over, right? And so, um, yeah, they're, they're fascinating. They're like the pinnacle of evolution, right? That they can actually be able to perform like that at nighttime and see color from the moonlight and, and, um, you know, the way that, that it, and, and I, what I loved was, and I didn't know this actually, that they couldn't move their eyes in their yeah. sight, but they were so large that they couldn't move them around. And therefore, like an owl, which I totally understand, have to move their, their body, their neck around. Yeah. And so um, that was just so cool. But I thought the coolest thing was watching them hunt, right? That, yeah. that jumping and the accuracy and the ability to latch onto something and at the same time grab a grasshopper, like they were, they were definitely badass. Yeah, so cool. That aspect of the fact that their eyes are so, uh, you know, evolved to be so big that they couldn't turn in their sockets is is just, I love that there's always 
a yin and a yang of like you can't have it all. If you want eyes that are big enough to see moonlight in color, they you can't turn them. You know, like sorry, we ju it just won't work. Like there's there's even like engineering limits in nature. You know, it's it's yes. like you can't if you want to have this small a head and you want to have you know you know because I'm sure that like you know one of the one of the advantages of them being so tiny is uh hard for predators to get um you know they can they can and and bugs are plentiful if they got if they were bigger bugs wouldn't be a big enough protein source so mm -hmm. it's you know it just it's like all these kind of balanced things that fit together and uh and yeah they're just and their teeth <laughs> those scary little teeth it's so great because they do they, they it's you know it's like a it's like in an animated movie like uh like just that turn from cute to evil is just yeah it's a good gimmick that should always that always works you know the yeah. partnerships had that in spades for sure you know it's yeah. kind of like ethan i don't know maybe we're going to talk a little bit about evolution but you know, you know how we all got like a little weirder during the pandemic and we were all in isolation. We all got a little stranger. We all like, <laughs> I don't know. Okay, you guys aren't laughing. I think maybe. Yeah, yeah, no, I, no, <laughs> no, we got because it's not funny. It's like, yeah, no, it's just true. Yeah, I know, right? We're all like, I got, Ooh. I got cool as shit. <laughs> Does it show? <laughs> but it's, uh, that's kind of what islands do, right? Is that there? You know, things um, that nature forces certain adaptations and you're doing that in isolation like we were all yeah. during the quarantine so um like the tarsier is just that spectral tarsier is absolutely the epitome of that right like you know yeah. cute and cuddly and badass and, and me and as shit and you know it's yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and you kept seeing that like the meliophile like i was just like oh my god like i'm an ornithologist and i i you know the fact that i thought it was cgi when they all came in all the different pairs who made for oh, life. Yeah. I, really, I thought it was quite cool. My wife told me to say that, uh, but like, but, <laughs> but actually, like how they all came in together and started like digging, and I thought that was hilarious because I was like, this is like, this is like a Three Stooges kind yeah, of like yeah. totally. thing, I, you know. But, that, but that's just weird. It's just weird and cool. Um, yeah. But islands kind of do that, you know. It's it's an amazing thing about islands and island biogeography. Is there a lot of uh, human settlement on Sulawesi? Like, is there a is there a decent yeah. amount of people on Sulawesi too? Yeah, far more than yeah. on Komodo. Yeah, 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 for sure. And that's uh, and are, is there the palm oil plantations on on uh, on Komodo also? Uh, not on Komodo, to my knowledge. Um, but um, but and it's actually been I should I should preface by saying that it's been about twenty years since I was there. So I'd actually be fascinated uh -huh. to see the changes. Fifteen twenty years. Um, but I'll go check it out. Certainly on a lot of the other islands, like. Like board, like Kalimantan, Sulawesi, Sumatra, just hammered. Um, yeah, and we're yeah. trying to do some work with some of those those um, more you know forward thinking. You know, look, agriculture has to happen, right? Yeah, we can all diminish our palm oil use and make sure it's quote unquote more sustainable. But uh, one of the things we're trying to do is make sure that 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 palm oil is not like a sea of palm oil, creating even further islands within, within islands, islands of forest. Um, that was the irony, too. We're talking a lot about islands as if they were just an island within the sea. But there are islands within these islands because of human, mm. you know, humans are creating seas of destruction in agriculture, etc. But there are ways to do that that are more regenerative to nature, that make corridors so that creatures like a tarsier can 
can move from patch to patch, which mm, is yeah. what animals really need to survive, you know, for genes to flow. And, and with climate change, you got to have that, that connectivity. And there are some of these players who are more willing to think about that when they think about their plantations and leaving large patches for nature and benefiting from like the pollination that comes out of the forest or leaving quarters so that animals can move around. So, you know, that's, that's the world we're in today. It's a warmer, more crowded world. And we just got to figure out how do you balance those things of nature protection and feeding people too. So it was interesting that was missing from the show, right? Is there ways to make governments and corporations to incentivize them to be more ecologically sound in yeah. a way that rather than just because it's the right thing to do or it's because you know the way it's totally. and especially you know with subsistence farmers like yeah. to tell them well this is you know it's a question of morality they're like i gotta feed my kids you know yeah, 100%. I, I mean is there is there a good way is there ways that we're finding to say to companies it affects your bottom line to do this better and if you know and the governments to like this there there is an not just the intrinsic value of of being ecologically sound there's also it's within your benefit you know 100 percent, Andy. it's it's a and i mean companies have done that on climate right they're like holy shit we're gonna we're our bottom line is gonna suffer and therefore we better commit to these big climate goals and so people are starting to do it around nature as well realizing that we've got a climate crisis but also a biodiversity crisis I just came back from Belize. Um, it was actually, you know, the first trip outside the country because of the quarantine since I mm -hmm. came back to TNC. But I, I met with the prime minister there and, and he clearly gets it. He realizes that, that and, and their, their economy is in, the, is in the shambles right now. And they really need to be thinking about that and feeding people. And so, you know, why would he not like just pave over everything and get more agriculture? And there's plenty of demand for it. But he's, you know, he really feels that that they have, first of all, have branded themselves as a as a nature based economy, as a blue yeah. economy, a green economy, and that actually sends a hell of a lot more people to Belize to travel there than the place that's completely wiped out and destroyed. So people yeah. go to see the jaguars and the macaws and the coral reefs, and because and now they need to do more. But he recognizes that the tourism economy that they have, albeit you know it's under pressure during a pandemic, but he gets it. He's like. The tourism economy, our fish, we have more fish when we have marine protected areas because the fish breed and create babies there and they and then they, they leave those protected areas, those nurseries, and then we've got more fish to, to, to catch. The same with even their agriculture. If we protect, we just protected 230,000 acres of the Mayan rainforest, the Selva Maya uh, last year with, uh, with our partners. And that patch of forest actually literally is sending pollinators out to the farmland that surrounds it, which they, they really struggle in there. And, and so companies, farmers, you know, countries and governments, they're starting to get it. And I think people like mm -hmm. um, the prime minister believes are, are, are clearly um, walking the talk too. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. So there's hope, Andy. I, I think there are some places, though. I mean, you know, look, Brazil's in a is is not got a, an environmental friend right now. There are right. other um, places around the world where we struggle, but where there are willing governments and we can use those carrots and sticks to help them take do the right thing. Um, man, we're all over it. 
Well, I also got a shout out then, the Prime Minister of Belize. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so this person rules. I uh, hope you listen to the show. Uh, come on anytime. You know, it's, that's uh, the first place I ever saw a Jaguar um, was in oh, wow. Belize. And uh, I was actually 17 years, 16 years old. I was a, with a group of, uh, of uh, high school kids from Birmingham, Alabama, where I grew up. We drove from Birmingham to Belize. Wow. And, uh, which was awesome. And uh, it was late one night, we're driving into the Coxcomb Basin Preserve, which is a really famous um, jaguar preserve. And sure enough, we I mostly saw its ass, but I didn't really, <laughs> but it was still pretty cool. Um, but I'm really, uh, they are, they have been tremendous leaders and it's been, it's been cool. And, and um, you know, they're, again, it's, they're places of, of little spotlights of hope, you know, I mean, that, that, that tropical rainforest Kind of like in Borneo and, and Sumatra and Sulawesi is is like a hotbed for biodiversity in the Americas and for and for carbon. And so that forest is like the, is the second largest rainforest in the Americas. So in this hemisphere outside of the Amazon and um, and and it's under threat. And so, you know, anything that people are doing to to value it. So even like now you're talking about corporates, Ethan, um, you know, the same new condos that are coming in and the. And the, the, the much nicer resorts that are now there, they all know that they've got to give back because no one's going to come to Belize if it's mowed down, right? They just, yeah, they, right. even if people never take a trip out, just knowing that Belize is there and you can hear the, I mean, Belize's natural nature is there and you can hear the birds. Like, you know, if it's, if it was mowed down, it, people are not going to come. So, right. Yeah. They just go to yeah. Miami. I mean, if the, you know, why make Belize Miami? Because you can just go oh to Miami. God. It's closer. I was actually about to say I'm from Miami and that you can mow down. <laughs> just, I mean, Let, there's a just, bunch of, yeah, I can yeah. give you addresses, Jeff, and <laughs> you can just, there, just wait, you can make a bunch an, of palm oil. It'll be an underwater park in no time. Just, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, there's plenty of central Florida and northern Florida that I would also be fine with you mowing down <laughs> and creating a bunch of palm oil or whatever and leave these, you know, beautiful, untouched islands to themselves. That That's what tears me apart, I got to say, when I see these documentaries, because like you were talking about the fossils that are there. And, and to me, when I'm watching this episode, I'm thinking, man, this seems like it was exactly the same as it was hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. So to hear that there's also settlements, corporations, plantations, you know, palm oil, like I, it just seems so backwards to me. It just seems like clearly this is not the area to do that. Look, Indonesians have every right to um, to have a you know sustainable livelihoods and and uh, and govern you know as, as much as you and I do. We've all benefited from from that from that privilege. So I think it's. And we're part of the problem too, right? On the other side of the world, in terms of our consumption. And that, you know, that said, I, I do, uh, you know, there are we're increasingly realizing that we are on all on this planet, this little lifeboat together, and we, we need to work together. And so that's why we're trying to figure out other ways where we can make it even easier for the government of Indonesia to, um, you know, by working with our partner YCAN there, um, you know, to help them help Indonesia, right? Like, because it's not an easy task. We've got a lot of, of people, a lot of people under the poverty line, right? So it's it's a tough one. I mean, I, you know, there, there is no longer wilderness left on the planet. I hate to break it to you. So even the wild places are still impacted by, you know, by smoke from climate-induced fires or or noise pollution, you know? And so, so we have to figure out how do we how do we get things on the lifeboats of parks and indigenous lands and help make sure that they can survive, 
you know, going into this this next day. De- this is actually the last decade we have left. Sorry, just to bum out. This is supposed to be a wow. oh, great. Comedy. Yeah, I just thought I'd like, you know, put a little dash of sobriety on it. But we, you know, but we're it's the last decade we've got left to get this right, and we're we're doubling. Oh, I thought you meant just in general. Not the, in, in general, <laughs> like, yeah, right? But now to get the to get the, the you know the nature piece right, the the climate piece right, and and okay. so uh, we got to double down, man, and keep those forests and Sulawesi standing. Yeah, I I hope you, uh, that you do, and if you need help again, Tallahassee. Jacksonville. <laughs> These are large areas. We don't need them. <laughs> Trust me, we don't need them. Um, and climate-wise, I mean, they mentioned that every 100,000 years, we have an ice age. So I assume that uh, the global warming is not a problem because we got another one around the corner somewhere. Yeah, that that was a little bit of hyperbole. Um, but we do. The world goes through these shifts. But this is the first time it's gone through a human-induced shift of climate. And so... Um, you know, it's a, uh, I wouldn't rest on my laurels with that, with the hopes. That, <laughs> that that Although when be. you think, you know, in terms of like, you know, uh, ownership, man, talk about badass. We fucked up an entire planet, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> like Dude. what, when does, when, what other species has <laughs> fucked up an entire planet? Yeah. yeah, dude. Jaguars yeah. are cool. And like Jeff mentioned, they have awesome asses, but they've never <laughs> taken down a they whole sure planet. Haven't. That's pretty sick. I mean, sure, maybe a yeah. giant asteroid, but I mean, come on for uh, for just like, you yeah. know, evolved apes. That's pretty. Um, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Got to give it up. Big it's point, awesome. Andy. Way to go, everybody. No, I mean, <laughs> it's, I mean, I'm, I'm making a joke, but it is it is like it's it's it boggles the mind. Just yeah. that, uh, like sometimes I think our brains are a little too big, you know, like if we weren't so smart, Definitely. if we weren't so smart, there wouldn't be a hole in the ozone. You know what I mean? If we just lose that greed gene, you know, there's yeah. on the chromosome, it's there. We just need to slice it off. Okay, there was one more thing I really had to ask about, which was this small segment they did on what they called The Hobbit which is the actual name of this, like, skeleton, these bones they found in 2003. Uh, do you, uh, you, you know about this, this guy they found, Jeff? I actually, I am no, um, <laughs> I am no anthropologist. Um, I, okay. uh, so, no, I, I, you know, I heard about this in the news. It was fairly, you know, past decade or so where they discovered it, right? And, um, yeah. But I actually, and I question, I may be wrong, but I wasn't sure, even sure if there had actually been overlap of the human, you know, the human species. But I mean, when you think about it, there's, there were probably lots of little primates, you know, that, that kind of ended up, I mean, cause it doesn't take much to look at a chimp or a, or a, a gorilla and go, Oh, it's kind of human, you know, I mean, as opposed mm-hmm. to a deer mm-hmm. or a dog or some other kind of, you know, any other creature, there's, there's similarities there between us and monkeys. So it, yeah. it's like, yeah, I bet you there's probably ones that just haven't been discovered yet or won't be discovered because they just didn't leave any trace of, you know, odd little ape-like creatures that, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe that was could have been us, you know. 
Yeah, it it seemed like a kind of strange, almost like a different documentary was like sliced up and placed into this one for a yeah, second. Because yeah. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Now we're talking about like early man. This is like a mini human. And then it yeah, was yeah. we're moving on. So I was just like, whoa, 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 what what happened there? Did we just discover another species and then not talk about it? Um, but anyway, I the, you, you brought up these these chimps that were similar to and one of them was in this also the crested macaque, if I'm yes. not mistaken, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I might be because i'm often mistaken but uh yeah apparently they they live in like these huge groups and and there was a claim i wanted to ask you about jeff they said that they are a peaceful species because they have expressive faces Can can you comment on that that was a little bit of the day going a little over the top i think but what okay now that said it's, it's probably the other way around that the, the actually the faces and their expressions that they can have have evolved to mi- to minimize some conflicts. But the they probably have actually the, the pressures, the evolutionary pressures were likely that they have better survival rates in, when they work together. Right. And so that's what primates can okay. do. We are we are primates, too. Right. Like it took, you know, your producers and everybody to put this whole thing together. Right. And we were able to. Well, inter- I could have done it myself. Yeah, but, yeah. No, it was all of you. Yeah. But, they, you know, so I thought the, the fact that they have expressive faces is not like what drove evolution. It was a little bit the other way around. Um, so, you know, again, a little bit of a little bit of hyperbole. But, you know, I, I have to say, like, when when the when they were taking the picture and the macaques were all like jockeying to get into the picture, I was like, that's just like my daughters with a selfie. Right. Like, <laughs> like me, 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 TikTok. Look like an early version of TikTok, but I um, but it was uh, I thought they were cool, man. I mean, they're they're they were um, we have a lot to yeah. learn from them, don't we? To me, it's like it's when they yawn and those teeth, those dagger teeth. It's like that's probably the the threat of those probably keeps them peaceful more than anything because, <laughs> I, I, you know, if it, if. <laughs> If I had teeth like that and somebody I was having a struggle with had teeth like that, I don't think we'd bite each other because we'd no. be like, no, no, yeah. It's like, it's like a little, a little tiny nuclear option is to be bitten with those things. Speaking yeah. of, speaking of, uh, of, of teeth on a predator, there's actually, I don't know if you came, came across this, Ethan, but on Sulawesi, there was actually a new species of predator found about the past 10 years and like you think you know you think we've discovered everything but um there's actually a, a little creature called a civet um and it's a it's a cat right kind of like a cat not actual yeah. like in a, a felid but it's a it's a um it's it, it, it's a long like a cat and it's it's so it's not going to like take out a macaque but um but i thought that was kind of cool when i was you know doing a little bit of research myself i was like you know there's still stuff to discover so Every time we want right. to be like doom and gloom and listen to dumbasses like me who are like, this is the last decade we have left. You know, there's still cool stuff out there to discover. And um, Indonesia is one of them, man. I mean, it's probably, a, you know, thousands of other species that we haven't discovered yet. And maybe we won't before we mow them down. But, you know, we should at least try. And um, yeah. so, I thought, you know, it's, it's a cool place. I mean, I, I, I thought the show... And it was inspirational. It was... Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So kudos to Discovery... With a little bit of the not, of the of that dial turned up, like <laughs> I mean, unless they get Andy, in which case, turn it up. I say, yeah, right, exactly. Speaking of your career, Andy, we are running short on time here. But if there's something else you want people to check out, uh, I mean, obviously your podcast is is fantastic. If you want to, you know, tell people about that, please, please go ahead. 
Sure. Uh, yeah, I have a podcast called The Three Questions, and uh, it's available wherever your podcasts come out of. Um, and it's basically the the three questions. It's I wanted to do sort of uh, have the kind of conversations that I've always liked to have with with people. And you know, a lot of a lot of the guests are entertainment. You know, a lot are, are kind of comedy because that's just kind of what's in the turning in the froth of of my world. And um, but the questions are: Where do you come from? Where are you going? And what have you learned? And the idea is to just kind of. I like when people think about their lives and think about how they are and think about how those two things intersect and and what control you have over those forces, you know, your environmental forces, your own drive, your own will and and how they form who you are. Um, you know, it's just therapy. It's just all I've been in too much therapy. I got to do something with it. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'll do a podcast. Well, I'm glad I'm glad that you are. I think it's awesome. Love the show. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming on this show. Like I said, you know, I've just been a huge fan of yours for so many years. You're in like all of my favorite things. Oh, uh, thank so you. it just means a lot to me. And uh, and Jeff, anything you want to tell people about? No, just uh, first of all, Andy, it's a pleasure to be with you, Ethan. This, I love your show. This is awesome. Um, let's. Uh, I'm glad we talked about trying to save the stuff we saw on the show. Thank you for that. And you can uh, just go to nature.org and, or you can follow me at, at Parish Nature. And um, <clears throat> happy to, and actually, as I was saying before, it's not about the Nature Conservancy alone. It's about all these organizations working hard. And so we're working for some radical collaborations to change the world. And um, hey, let's, uh, let's, let's keep up the good fight and maybe have a little less of the Schwimmer comedy on the, on the dial. But, I, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I, I appreciate you both. David right. Schwimmer's some, so sitting somewhere and feeling a smack and being like, what's that coming from? <laughs> yeah. He is not going to follow. He's not going to follow us on Twitter. I don't yeah, yeah. No, I don't <laughs> think so. Schwimmer, come on the show and combat me. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ethan. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, so Thank you Andy and Ethan. Get exclusive science shows, nature documentaries, and more real-life entertainment on Discovery+. Plus. Go to discoveryplus.com slash goodbadscience to start your seven-day free trial. That's discoveryplus.com slash goodbadscience. Hosted and produced by Ethan Eidenberg. Executive producer, Brett Kushner. Supervising producer, Emily Feld. Producer, Darby Rose. Editor, Michael Feld. Talent Booker, Samantha Barella. Post coordinator, Jason McCann. And research PA, Ali Rudenstein.